0: Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. This is part two of a last week's sermon of Discerning the Counterfeit, And we're looking at the Antichrist and kind of taking our time going through it because it gets very complicated real quick. And so let's do this. Before we get in, let's look at the previous verses that we looked at last week. I won't go in and unpack those. That'll be in last week's sermon if you want to listen to it online. But we just got to refresh our minds and get back in the swing of things. So if you go to Revelation 1, we'll start there. And again, this is a repeat of last week. It says, then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. And remember, we talked about that the Antichrist is a Gentile. The sea represents the Mediterranean or the Gentile's people, where he comes from. So he's a Gentile, but he comes from the Mediterranean area of the revived Roman Empire, if you want to call that. And notice it says that he has seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. We unpacked that last week of understanding that's the final form of his one world government. We're going to get a little bit into that today. But what John is saying is, because we're going to be raptured prior to the tribulation, we won't be here for this, we won't see the Antichrist, so what should we be looking for? We're looking for his government forming. And what this crazy-looking beast type of government looks like with seven heads and ten horns is basically... What you and I here today call the one world government, the new world order. That's what we need to be aware of, that that is forming. And so we're seeing his government form before he comes on the scene. So what John is saying and other passages say, the government forms before he gets there. So that's what we're looking at. So we'll unpack that in just a bit. Go to verse 2. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And again, this refers more to the government of the Antichrist. Like we talked about last week, the images of beasts conglomerated into one represent Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome, all encapsulated into one final form of Gentile government before Messiah comes back. So that's why it has different parts of different animals. They represent previous empires all into one. And we talked about that last week, that one of the differences about this final form of government is imperialism. So what you and I should be looking for is we'll have eventually a foreign entity like the UN telling the United States what to do. Eventually, where it's going to go, and I don't know how long this is going to be staved off by Trump, I hope he does this, but eventually the UN's going to want to tax us for something. Eventually, I could see America paying a tax to the UN for something, carbon emissions or something, but again, that's what imperialism does. We have a foreign entity telling a national sovereign country what to do, and that's in the mix, guys. They want this. This is no conspiracy theory. They're wanting this. So a little bit about the government, just to kind of refresh our mind, if we turn to Daniel 7, and we're going to correspond with Daniel a lot because he's on the same wavelength as John, talking about the same thing. He says, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. So let's just stop right there and look at this map. What will happen is, what's predicted, is the world will go towards a global government, a one-world government, and then it quickly breaks up into a ten-league confederation where ten parts of the globe are controlled by ten kings, ten individuals controlling the entire globe. That's not hard to imagine these days. With technology, with AI, with all kinds of innovations of technology, it's easy to control every person on the planet. Just look what Zuckerberg does with Facebook, or Google is doing right now. They have the ability to track everybody on planet Earth. Well, it's not a far cry to say this is where it's going. This is what they want, by the way. They want the world to be clumped up into ten regions that they can control. This is not a conspiracy. This is what they want. This is what they said. And this has been going on for years and years and years. This idea of a global government goes a long way back. It goes back into the Bible. But just let me brief you on how long this has been going on. Satan, what he is trying to do is counterfeit the global government of the Messiah in the future as you know when jesus comes back he sets up his kingdom and it'll be a global kingdom over planet earth so satan has known this and he wants to establish his kingdom globally now he's done this and he did this in the tower of babel if you recall in genesis early early on with through nimrod nimrod was an antichrist type and he tried to do it through there but god confused the languages and scattered people then even into a modern era The 5th century, Jewish Kabbalahs wanted a global government. Even the Catholic Church wanted to rule the entire world. In the 1100s to the 1300s, the Knights Templar wanted to have a global government. Rosicrucians, 17th and 18th century, the banking cartels that came out of that, the Rothschilds or whatever, wanted a global government. It's still there, there today with global bankers. They want a global government. The Illuminati started in 1776, and people joke about that. They were a real institution, and they wanted global government. The Freemasons in the 1800s, that's their thinking, that's their dogma. Then you get into the 1900s with Woodrow Wilson, who was a globalist. You know, it was Edward Mandelhaus that got us into World War I, with pushing Woodrow Wilson into that and wanting to form a one-world government and create a Federal Reserve Bank, which is neither federal nor reserve. And that happened, didn't it? We have a Federal Reserve Bank that we don't vote for. These are unelected officials, and they control our monetary system. The Federal Reserve Bank that was created is a microcosm of the one-world government's funding To be able to print off money fiatly, devoid of being on the gold standard. Just printing off money and entering that into the currency. That's exactly what the globalists do because they want to go to a cashless system. Because cashless means that you can trace it. You can control it. Even parts of Europe, they have cashless systems now in some countries. And they charge the people negative interest or have their money in the bank. Imagine a world where there's no cash. Imagine that. The only way you dealt with things is through a debit card or some type of chip implanted in you that controlled all your banking. I heard recently a couple weeks ago about guns. They're right now working with the major credit card companies like MasterCard or Visa. The leftists, the globalists are working with them, telling them, look, if you work with us, there's a lot of fringe benefits we'll give you. But we're asking you not to allow people to buy guns with a Visa or a MasterCard. Because if you went to a cashless system and then you went to go buy a gun, they're, gonna, they're not going to take away your Second Amendment. What they were going to do is say, well, you sw- try to swipe your card. Well, if you have a Visa or MasterCard, you couldn't buy a gun because Visa and MasterCard wouldn't allow you. So when, when you see little things like that, you're thinking, oh, this is about controlling so they'll tell you it's for security reasons. We're going to do this so there's no drug cartels or there's no terrorist money or whatnot. But really what it is is control. Controlling the whole entire populace on the planet. And that's where we're going with technology. So you see this, and these people want it. Then the, League of, the Council of Foreign Relations was developed by David Rockefeller. Then the League of Nations started, which developed into what we now know the United Nations. Communists, Marxists, Progressives all want a one world government. The Bilderberg Group wants a one world government. The Club of Rome that started in nineteen sixty eight all want a global government. The Trilateral Commission by David Rockefeller wants it. The Vatican wants it. Over twelve times in this last Pope's time in office, Pope Francis, he has twelve times he has promoted a new world order or globalism. He's hook, line, and sinker with it. You got individuals like George H. Bush that said, We want a new world order. New world order comes out of globalism. Henry Kissinger, Walter Cronkite, George Soros, Obama, Hillary Clinton, Paul Ryan, Mark Zuckerberg, Emmanuel Macron, and even in the church. Evangelistic organizations like Restoring Eating, Evangelical Environmental Network, all want a global government. So it's even in the church. So what I'm saying, what we're studying, is not something in the distant future that well i really can't see that it's here you're living in a time where the beast government is forming right in front of our very eyes technology is a good thing but then it could be used for evil purposes and i think all of us see that before we go in what are the catchphrases i should be listening to about this global government what is the catchphrase that they use constantly just let me go through just a quick list. Socialized health care, gun control, big government, high taxes, population reductions, open borders, environmentalism, increased debt, increased poverty, international welfare, class warfare, single religion over the world, destroy the family, remove individualism, remove patriotism, multiculturalism. Those are all catchphrases, and tolerance will be another catchphrase. When you hear any of those, understand that's coming from the global government. It sounds nice. It's a pseudo-morality, but it's not real morality. It's not biblical morality. It's a pseudo-morality. Let's go back to the text. Go back to Daniel, and now we'll go back to the Antichrist. And another, out of the ten kings that we saw, another shall arise after them. Remember, there's ten horns, and now Daniel predicts, along with John, that another horn will come out of this government. Now, this horn speaks blasphemous things, and you'll see that. And notice the text, go back to the text, this horn, he shall be different from the first ones. He's different in many, many ways. He's different in the fact that he controls all of them eventually. Notice in Revelation 13, 1, Again, I'm going back and forth to Revelation and Daniel. He has seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns. Now something has happened in the text. John is indicating that there were these ten kings that controlled all the planet, but on this beast government, he only sees seven heads, but yet the ten horns are still there with ten crowns. Something has happened to three of the heads, and this little horn called the Antichrist, is the one who has done something. As he has risen, he has done something, and because he starts rising, he goes to war. Let me show you this war in Daniel chapter 11. At that time of the end, this is in the tribulation, the king of the south shall attack him. Again, talking about different kings, One kingdom is called the king of the south, shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. Again, we don't know who these kings are because these are the kings that control these specific regions over the planet during this period of time in the future. The king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. So basically defeat them militarily. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. The glorious land is referring to Israel. So Antichrist enters Israel, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Amnon. So interesting enough, a pincer move happens because remember, Antichrist is in protection mode to Israel. Remember, he's cut a deal with Israel, and he's their protector, believe it or not. Well, since he's their protector, the king of the north, the king of the south, and even the king of the east come in and try a pincer move on Israel to destroy Israel. Antichrist jumps in the middle of this to protect Israel, and he sets up his military campaign right there in the heart of Israel. And this is at the midpoint of the tribulation. So follow me with a little bit. It gets complicated. And so he defends Israel from the king of the north and from the king of the south and then also from the king of the east. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans, the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. So basically he defeats them. But news from the east, eastern king and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. The, The military campaign, his tent will be planted between the Mediterranean Sea and then Jerusalem. That specific location is what we know as the Jezreel Valley or the Valley of Megiddo, where Antichrist will eventually have his campaign, his last campaign, the campaign of Armageddon from there. Basically then what happens in this war that happens at the midpoint of the tribulation, he defeats these three kings. That's why there are seven heads and ten horns, because eventually he takes over these three other areas in that government. And so now he's starting to rise to power. That's why you see the seven-headed beast. Now, there's a caveat to that, and this is why he's different. He has taken over a large chunk of the world at this point in time. But let's return back to Revelation 13. And on his heads, the seven heads, a blasphemous name. We don't know the name of the Antichrist at this point in time, but his name will be able to be deciphered at that time by doing the calculations in Hebrew. The Hebrew language is a alphanumeric language, which means that letters correspond to numbers. And so at that time, that blasphemous name will be known to the inhabitants of the earth because all they will have to do, at least believers will, is calculate his name in Hebrew and it will end up at 666. That's how they'll know how to identify the Antichrist. Along with all the other things that we're seeing. But that's the blasphemous name it's talking about. And he'll blaspheme God. And we'll see this in Daniel 7. He just The reason his name is blasphemous is because of what he does. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. Shall persecute the saints of the Most High. So notice that Daniel is using the term most high. You see this a lot in the Old Testament. It doesn't say Yahweh. It doesn't say El. It's Elyon. He's bragging against the most high. Well, when you see the term Elyon, or you see most high in English, it's referring to the angelic realm. In the angelic realm, God is known as the most high. There are other spirit creatures in the angelic realm that God created, but God is the most high of the spirit. So you got the spiritual realm, and then you have the earthly realm. So when you have the God of the most high, it's referring to the spiritual realm because Antichrist is the son of Satan, and Satan is a spiritual creature. But again, here's the definition of Elyon, and I want you to notice why Daniel's using this. It's referring to the God of Israel, Yahweh. It's called the Most High because he is the true sovereign king and creator who is sovereign over both spiritual realms and earthly realms. Yahweh El Yon is incomparable among spirit beings and human beings. The reason Daniel is using this language, spiritual language for the spiritual realm, is because Antichrist is claiming to be God. Antichrist is claiming to be Messiah. He is claiming the most high position in the spiritual realm. He's claiming to be the most high. So Daniel uses this language to say, no, no, there's no one comparable to Yahweh. Nothing compares to him. Not this little measly man called the Antichrist is no way comparable. So you have to see what's going on in the heavenly realms. It's an attack on God. It's saying that Satan and the Antichrist think they're higher than God. So anyway, it's that drama being played out. But notice, let's go back to the text in Daniel. And he shall intend to change times and law. Then the saint shall be given to his hand for a time, times a half a time. That's three and a half years. So what Antichrist does is when he starts rising to power, and then he does a deal with Israel, he intends to change the times and laws. That's a reference to Israel's times and laws. This is why Israel is God's timepiece. What he'll do to Israel is changed the way they worship. He will change them being able to sacrifice, being able to keep the feasts. He will forbid this, just like Antiochus Epiphanes did early on in about the 4th century B.C. He will not let the Jews do their rituals, their rites, when the temple is built. So that's one of the hallmarks of him, and he tries to change things. And then obviously he persecutes them and the rest of the tribulation saints. That's his hallmark is he tries to destroy them. Now, let's go back to Revelation 13, 3. And this is where it starts getting tricky. And it says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. The Greek is sphazo, eis thanatos, which means to put to death by violence. In this war that he gets in of taking and disposing three of the kings... He dies. He's killed. We have another text that indicates this. This is the same context. In Daniel 11, in the same context of the fight that he gets in, he shall come to his end and no one will help him. So, in that war, Antichrist is killed in this war. They kill him somehow. A sniper shot? I don't know. He suffers a fatal wound. Now, a lot of people say, well, it's because where we're going with this is kind of bizarre. Okay, so hold on. They'll say, well, he wasn't really killed. It seemed like he was killed, perhaps. And that's what the text is saying. No, it's actually the same phraseology used for Messiah. So let's jump back to that other passage. And I looked, behold, in the midst of the throne and four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Same phraseology, same Greek word, svazo. Here's what you have to then conclude, and follow me where I'm going with this. If you don't say the Antichrist was killed, then you can't say it in that text for Messiah. It's the same phraseology. So, since this phrase is being used for Jesus... And we obviously know he died on a cross, right? He was dead, buried, and rose again. The same phrase John is using for Antichrist. Hence, because of this precursor here, we have to conclude then, yes, Antichrist is then killed in this war, and he's dead, dead on the doornail, okay? Why would I be so adamant about that? Because of where it's going. Go to the next passage. And his deadly wound was healed. His deadly wound was healed. If he's dead and he comes back to life, that's what John is saying. It's what we call a counterfeit resurrection. Remember, he's anti-Christ. He's instead of Christ. He's pretending to be Christ. So he's counterfeiting Christ's resurrection. And Satan is doing this. Now, hold on to your hats because now you get into some very supernatural things because of that, and the implications are profound. If he is dead, it's not a simulated resurrection. Well, he was just out of it, and then he came back and revived. No, no, he was dead because you have other passages that clearly say where his soul was at, and that's important. Go to Revelation 17. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Notice the phraseology that was, was alive, is not dead, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit, that's where fallen angels go, is the bottomless. It's the abuso. That's where fallen angels go. How does he go from earth to the abuso? Because he died. So his soul goes to the abuso. And those who dwell on earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was alive and is not dead and yet is he comes out of the abuso and comes back to life so this is a total counterfeit resurrection but there's some supernatural things going on here now where do we go with that because the bible is very supernatural you can't be anti-supernatural and you have to understand that satan has a lot of power It could be that God grants Satan the ability to do this for this very time and allows him to do it. Remember, Satan can take people's lives, and he does. If you're not a believer, Satan has the ability to take your life. Only believers, according to Hebrews 2, are protected from Satan taking their lives. So the people out in the world, they're unprotected. Doesn't mean he's going to kill them, but he can if he wants to. Again, look what he did supernaturally to Job when God allowed the attack on Job by Satan. Remember? Satan killed his whole family. Do you recall that? He killed the whole family. And then he inflicted Job with wounds. So it's and any any controlled weather patterns, by the way, if you look in Job chapter 1, Satan has incredible powers. And again, Satan's on a leash with God. He, he can only do what God allows him to do, but don't discount the powers in the demonic realm. They're very, very powerful creatures. I'll give you an example. And I've told many of you this story a lot of times. When I met with a gal who had been a Satanist with Anton LaVey for a a long time, she had been with Anton LaVey in San Francisco from 13 to 35. And and I basically was asking, well, what were you doing with Anton LaVey? And she said that we were going all over the world healing people. Go to India, different parts of the world and heal people. And I said, How did you heal people? What do you mean? You don't have power on yourself. No, no. She said it was the demons in her. She didn't call them demons, she called them spirits. They would heal people. And I said, Well, well, what would happen? She goes, Well, they would afflict the person with a disease. And then I would come on and pretend that I was healing them. But what they did is they just lifted the affliction off the individual. And it seemed like they had a, a miracle, that I was able to do miracles. But it really wasn't me. It was the demon lifting off the affliction. And I got a glimpse into the spiritual world of what's going on there. They have incredible powers to hurt people and they're also to have a, if you want to call it, counterfeit miracle to lift afflictions off people. So you and I are not to be conned by the supernatural because if you say, well, this, it could only be God that something supernatural happened. No, no, no. You're, that's, that's the wrong thinking because these spirit creatures... These fallen angels have incredible powers. And that's why a lot of people are attracted to their powers. Now, the power to create life, Satan doesn't possess. So I don't know all the story here. And it doesn't tell us. It just tells you the Antichrist was dead and came back to life again. And Satan may be given special powers at that time by God to do that. That's typically how God works, even through fallen angels or his regular angels but it comes back to life he comes back to life and it's game over at that point it is game over when he comes back to life so with that being said watch the reaction to him let's go to Daniel 7 and it says he shall subdue three kings so he takes over at least part of the world and then look what happens once he resurrects and takes over these three kingdoms after his resurrection The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet. It's future. But they will receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind and they what will give their power and authority to the beast. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose. So God's in control of this. God's allowing this to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So basically what happens is he comes back to life subdues the other three kings and the rest of the world bows a knee to him and saying there's something up with this guy he was dead we knew he was dead and he came back to life he must be god and they start worshiping him he then kills the two witnesses that we already studied he breaks his covenant with israel starts persecuting her and trying to wipe every jew off the planet then he commits the abomination of desolation, which we looked at. He goes into the Jewish temple, proclaims himself to be God, sets up an idol in there, and then what happens to the world? Let's go to Revelation 13. And all the world marveled or admired and followed the beast. Followed means followed religiously, not just politically, followed him religiously. So they, what? Worshiped the dragon, that's Satan, and gave th- who gave authority to the beast, And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Notice what the game is being played here. It's a satanic trinity being formed. Satan is playing the role of the father. The Antichrist is playing the role of the son. They're worshiping the counterfeit father through the counterfeit son, just like you and I worship the father through who? Messiah. And then we'll see next week, the impersonator of the Holy Spirit, the false prophet. So you have the satanic trinity that's forming and garnering the world's worship of him. Who is like it? Notice the phraseology who is like the beast. That is the idea of Elion, most high. The world is saying the beast, the Antichrist, is the most high. They're saying, He's God. He resurrected from the dead. He's taken over the world. Who can make war with Him? Who, who can fight Him? Certainly not. And the answer is, they're saying mockingly, Yahweh can't. Jesus can't. Who's more powerful than the Antichrist? That's what's being said. It's a challenge to Elion, the Most High God. Wow. And at this point, you'll see later on in Revelation... The line is now being drawn in the sand in humanity. And you'll see an angel later on flying through midair not to take the mark. Because once you do, you cross the line, you're not coming back. You take the mark, you're destined for the lake of fire. And so at this point, God is drawing this line, allowing this to happen, saying, make your choice. Choose Jesus or you choose the beast. But make your choice. The satanic trinity or the triune God. But it doesn't stop there. He keeps going. He doesn't stop. He's not neutral. Look in verse 5. And he was given a mouth. Of course he was. Speaking great things and blasphemies. Guess who he's speaking against? He's speaking against God. Speaking against Jesus. He's speaking against the believers at that time. And here's what he does. He then claims to be God. Second Thessalonians. This is what we call the great lie. The son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, the Jewish temple, showing himself that he is God. You know, I guess it's too crazy, man. How can the world want to worship a guy calling himself God? Well, think about that. Is it really that hard? They worship people now. They worship Other people, famous people, people with money, people with power, they worship him now. What if you had a guy who had lying signs and wonders resurrect himself, accompanied with all kinds of miraculous things that the false prophets are doing around him with satanic power, and no one can make war with him? I could easily see how the world would worship him. Scary. Scary. We see the temple plans already, and I, I've showed you this before. These are the temple plans for the tribulation temple. They're already in place. They're wanting to make this temple. This is the temple, the, 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 the tribulation temple, that Antichrist will go in and say, I'm God. That's called the abomination of desolation. He will desecrate it because he's calling himself God. And we're seeing, we already know what the plans look like. That's bizarre that we would live in a time that close to the end. Let's go back to the text. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. That's three and a half years. That's the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Then he opened his mouth to blaspheme against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, or the dwelling of heaven, and those who dwell in heaven. So he starts pompously, arrogantly talking against Elion, Yahweh, Jesus. Basically saying, bring it on. I will challenge you to a fight. That's what he's doing. He's blaspheming. He really thinks through his satanic energy that he has the ability to fight Jesus to prevent the second coming. You talk about arrogancy. Oh, my land. It's a slandering. But notice he slanders those who dwell in heaven. A lot of people miss that phrase. They think he's slandering the people, the inhabitants that have went to heaven. He's not doing that. The phraseology was referring to believers on earth that are heavenly minded, that have their citizenry, in heaven. And so he blasphemes any believers during that period of time, and then he starts persecuting them, saying, if you don't worship me, off goes your head. He will cut their heads off. And we see that in Revelation. Jesus resurrects people who have been beheaded by the Antichrist. Verse 7, it was granted to him to make war or hostility or persecution with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Universal dominion. So he goes and persecutes everybody that's a believer, and then he sets up his world, new world order in one location we'll see later on, but just briefly touch on it. He sets up his political headquarters in Babylon, real Babylon, where Iraq is today. Let me show you some pictures of the Middle East. You obviously know where Israel's at. Israel's right here. They're fighting right here in this area today. But eventually, in Iraq, where Babylon used, used to be, God's going to put it back there. Where evil came from, he's going to put it back there. This is the location where Antichrist will set up his political headquarters. I know it seems far-fetched, but that's where it's all going. We're watching Ezekiel play out already with gog and Magog. So it's not too big of a leap of why someone would set their headquarters here. If you have control of this area, you control all the oil in the world. It's a very powerful position to be in. Of course he would put his political and economic headquarters there. Of course he would. It makes total sense in our modern day and age. Let me show you some pictures of on the scene. This is what Babylon looks like today. There's the archaeological ruins and stuff. But imagine yourself seeing the Antichrist. Headquarters right in this place in Iraq. Amazing. One more. Here's where they think the Tower of Babel was. Here was the city. The city all was outlined here. And eventually it's all going back. God's going to put it back where it started. This is what it used to look like archaeologically when they do a 3D rendering of Babylon. Um, what it looked like. There was the Euphrates obviously that went through there. They just basically, off of archaeological remains, that's what it looks like. This is where all apostasy came from. So God's going to say, I'm going to take it all back and destroy it where it came from, the very origin where it came from. So Antichrist is just a pawn in this whole game where he sets up his headquarters there. But notice back in the text, it says, all who dwell on earth will worship him. So it's a There's a religious component to him. Not only is he just a political figure, they worship him as God. They think he's God. And is the world ready for that? Of course. This was said back in the 1950s and 60s. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the alliances of all people and to lift us out of the economic morass into which we are sinking. Send us such a man. And be he God or devil, we will receive him. And Henry Spake wrote that. That's exactly where they're at. Be it God or devil, if he can fix our problems, he's in. And they'll worship him. Now what he does in the Jewish temple is he sets up an idol to himself. Something similar to this will be in the Jewish temple of the Antichrist. And he will force people to worship him. And by the way, this idol, John says, we'll get to this later on, has the ability to kill you. John says it looks like it's alive, but it, I, it doesn't have bios, it doesn't have life, but it looks alive. Well, what age do we live in? It's artificial intelligence, perhaps. When you see what they can do with artificial intelligence, and if you had a mark under your skin in a chip, they could just turn your switch and you're dead. So if you don't worship the image of the beast, which this image because the beast obviously is not God who's omnipresent, he has to be locatable so he has to put idols all over the world, including the Jewish temple. And so basically if you don't worship the beast they turn this kill switch on you. you die. They already can do this in a lot of ways through technology. They already are figuring out how to hack your mind. They've already figured this out. and when we get to the the technology part, we'll see in a couple weeks, You'll see the incredible technology that's available. They know how you think. People are putting these little Alexas in their house and putting these other Google things in their house. This thing is a a personal bug device. It is listening to every conversation you have. It is watching what you search on the Internet. That's scary. We used to call that the CIA Now we have the CIA right there in a bug device with a little Alexa, knowing what I've shopped for. But they're getting to the point they know what you think. They say they're about 90% sure on some of their devices they can figure out what you're thinking. That's scary. Because those who don't worship the image, you're dead. Thank God we won't be here for that, but this is where the world's going with that. Last phrase, and we'll end here whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Just real quick, what it's saying is that these people of the world, they're called earth dwellers. When you see the term earth dweller in the book of Revelation, it's referring to a person who's obstinate in rebellion towards God, and they have made their decision to not follow Jesus, but to follow the Antichrist, They're not coming back. And the idea is they have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb. There's two books. There's multiple books, but these two books, there's the book of life, and then there's the book of life of the Lamb. The book of life has every name of every human being that's ever lived. God has recorded them. Now, when you don't believe in God, your name is eventually blotted out of the book of life, removed from the book of life. But if you're in the book of life, and then eventually you get saved, your name is then kept in the book of life and then added to the book of life of the lamb. This is a different book. So all the redeemed are added to this book. It's a role. So you have the the role of the living and then the role of the saved. And so that's what he's referring to. So those names have not been written in the book of life because they didn't accept Christ as Lord and and Savior. And that's what he's referring to there. And then he, verse 9, gives a warning. The last verse and we'll end there. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. And here's the phrase for the believers. here is patience and the faith of the saints. Okay, what what is he saying with this? He's saying, look, this message is going to be given out, but no one's going to hear it. Angels are going to go out and give the gospel during the tribulation, but a lot of people won't hear it. They just won't hear it. They're not coming back. They like what they're doing. They like the Antichrist. They think he's God. But he's saying this, that he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. and He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. That's called the divine law of retribution. That during this period of time when believers are attacked by the Antichrist or other people on this planet, God says, I'm going to hold them accountable, and I'm going to, if, if they put you in jail, I'm going to put them in jail. If they killed you, I'm going to kill them. It's called the divine law of retribution, and he's saying, so Here's where you can have patience and trust me that I will right all the wrongs that they do to you. I'm a God that's watching everything they do. So he brings some comfort and strength to that. But what's the end result of all this? Despite God's efforts of reaching out to all humanity, seeking those, calling them to salvation, the mass of humanity will reject him and in this period of time, not just simply reject him, but accept the Antichrist, except the beast. And you think, man, that's insane. What, what's people thinking? Who would worship the devil? Second Thessalonians gives us a clue of why this happens. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Because what? They did not receive the love of the truth. One, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. What's the lie? The Antichrist is God. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but what? Second thing, had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's those two. When you say, how could somebody accept the Antichrist and reject God's offer of salvation? He just said there's two reasons. They don't love the truth, and they have pleasure in unrighteousness. That's what's keeping them. It is a moral decision. It is not an information decision that they don't have enough information. It is not an ability. It's not about resources that God hasn't provided enough resources and provision. It is simply this. Man wants to live autonomous. He wants to be his own God. And the Antichrist will let them be their own God. He will let them do what they want as long as they worship him. you know what the motto in Satanism is? They only have one command. Guess what that command is? Do whatever makes you feel good. That's their motto. That's their one command in the church of Satan. Do what makes you feel good. See, Jesus pointed out this in another way. He said, look, there's two ways you're going to live your life. You can live on the broad road of destruction... Not just broad road, it's destruction. You'll destroy yourself. Or you can live on the narrow path, and few who find it. And it is hard, he said, on this path. He used the word hard or difficult on the narrow path. Now, we typically look at that in terms of salvation, and you're right. Those are salvation terms. But if we're talking to believers, then let's take it one more step. The one more step is we can have pockets of broad road living pockets or categories in our life that, yeah, I agree, I'm going to take the narrow road here, but on this subject, I'm going to take the broad road. Because this is what everyone else in the world is doing. They don't want to be told there's rules. They don't want to be told what to do. They want an easy path, the path of least resistance, the comfortable way, the one that takes less time, less energy, the quick route, That's the broad road. The broad road is the easy way. See, they don't want to work hard, not for salvation, but work hard in their life. That's why there's a lot of victims in our culture that are on the government dole. They don't want to be responsible. They don't want someone saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You need to stop that, dude. They don't want to seek him. They don't want to be saved because, man, that's difficult. That's uncomfortable. And I just want to live the way I want to live, Brandon. Don't you understand? Yeah, I get it. Folks, the way the world is living, when you do this, real life stops. Real life just completely stops when you check out. When you say, I don't want to live the way God wants me to live. And we can still, as believers, have pockets. We're saved, so we're not even talking about salvation. We're talking about sanctification. We can have these pockets where we just say, I'm not going to do it that way, man. I'm just going to do my own thing. You know what'll happen when you decide I'm just going to do it my own way in this pocket of my life or in this category? You'll start developing the same ways the world thinks. Victim mentality. I have a right to more and better. I'm owed this because I'm so special. You'll have a refusal to accept responsibility. You'll start doing things the way you want to do them. Do you have a better idea? Start believing that you're above the rules. And you will not see how your behavior impacts other people. You won't even care. I can tell you this. I know a grip of you who are suffering right now at the hands of what some idiot is doing in your family. No doubt about it. And what they keep doing, they don't care what they're doing to you. They don't care how stressed you are. They don't care how, how many sleepless nights you've had. They don't care. You're getting ready to have a heart attack. They don't care. I'm going to live life the way I want to live. No one's going to tell me. See, they don't care about others and how they impact other people. They alienate people, and they make you angry, don't they? They don't care. They're just going to keep rolling, and then they want you to take care of them when they hit the ground. That's the broad road. These people don't grow in their character. They become powerless, unproductive people of society, and basically this. They reject reality. That's what's happening. They reject reality. See, what the Antichrist represents, you have to go further than than just looking at him. It's not so much him they're wanting. It's the wanting of a different reality. And he promises a different reality. One in which they can do anything they want. See, it's not so much him. It's what their desires are. I want to be autonomous. That's how they can accept him. That's how they can love him and bend the knee to him. Because he gives them what they want, not what they need. I want you to think about this statement. These people that you see in your lives, these people that are doing crazy things, they're out of reality, out of touch, they live bad lives, but they feel good about it. Have you noticed that? They don't have any problems sleeping at night. They don't have any problems it seems they just keep rolling, but in God's eyes, they're living very bad lives, but they feel good about it. The unmotivated employee, the parent faced with raising a difficult, self-centered child, the dating relationship doesn't work because they're special and people, you, know, should treat him special. I mean, you just they're not in reality, but they feel good about it. That's what the Antichrist represents. Get out of reality. Join me in this unreality and I'll make you feel good. And at the same time they feel good, they're going straight to hell. Straight to the lake of fire as they enjoy doing anything they want. Let me tell you a story and we'll finish on this. There was a young man who had a troubled road when he was a child and, and going through high school. He came with this mentality that He deserved special treatment for just existing, for being born. He deserved special treatment. There's a lot of millennials that like that, right? You know? That he was better than others. And he made life difficult for everyone around him. Everyone had to deal with his antics of being above it all. In class, he would disrupt the teacher. He was more than a class clown. He challenged the teachers, disrespectful to authority. Parents always had to come and bail him out all the time. Of course, they enabled them, said it's the teacher's fault, not his fault. He just flouted all the school rules, all social rules, and did whatever he wanted to. And then when he was older, he started going to parties, getting messed up at parties. And in the, drunk, uh, the gutter drunk, parents would always bail him out kept doing this, got just totally out of control, eventually got put in jail because you just can't keep living that way, right? Some people wake up in jail, some people don't, okay? Some people suffer and the suffering doesn't wake them up because you know why? When you have a narcissistic attitude, when you think you're above everything and you don't want to comply with what God's saying, nothing affects you. Antichrist, suffering, death, nothing affects you But this guy, as he sat in the jail cell, finally came to understand the reason he was suffering. Because suffering doesn't wake you up sometimes. And what he finally came to fruition, which turned on the light switch in him, was this I am suffering because of my own decisions. I am suffering because I'm contributing to my suffering. And you know what that kid did? I mean, the light switched on. He figured out I'm doing this. He finally got out of jail, and eventually became a successful businessman after that. But it wasn't until he owned it. When he owned it, everything stopped. The victimhood mentality stopped. The being autonomous stopped. Everything stopped. And he became a civilized. Human being. And that's what we need to think about. We would say, who in the world would accept Satan? Who in the world would accept the Antichrist? Simple. Anyone that wants to live their way. That's who. May we never be people like that, even in a pocket or a category of our lives, where we say, you know what, I'm just going to accept the Broadway. Because the Broadway leads to destruction. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.